Hi, I'm Lindsay Pugh. And I'm Joe Nesterook. Welcome to the Woman in Revolt podcast. Today we're talking about two fucked up family holiday movies, Home for the Holidays from 1995 and Happiest Season from 2020. And we are both sick. So if we sound different, it's because I am recovering from COVID and Joe's recovering from a cold. Yes, I uh, have forgotten just how shitty a head cold can make you feel. I am thankful that I do not have COVID, but I'm going to sound very nasally. I'm in a Sudafed-induced drug high, so I already ask for your forgiveness for whatever I may say here today. Yeah, this might be a chattier, looser podcast episode <laughs> because my my energy to prepare anything is nil. At best. And Joe, you just, since we last were on here, Joe went to Italy. I got COVID. That's <laughs> as I went to see my family for the, the previous weekend. So a lot has happened. A lot has happened. I just have to say very quickly, Italy trip was wonderful. Enjoyed it. Ran my ass off the entire time. Like it was constant go, go, go. Was in Sicily for seven days, finished out in Rome for three days. It was supposed to be cooler. It was unusually hot. It was like 80 fucking degrees over there wherever we went. So I had to improvise because I brought warmer clothes. But Italy, go. If, if you have not been, please go. The people are so warm and friendly, wonderful, gorgeous. Everything you think about Italy, it's true. Everything. You, it just met all the expectations. And unfortunately, I do believe somewhere on the flight home that my husband caught a cold and I got it, but it's worth it. Yeah. And at least it's not COVID. Yes. Yes. But yeah, anyone who's watching... The White Lotus season two. That's what I was picturing when Joe was in Italy. That is yeah. just, I mean, you weren't staying at, I don't know what hotel they're supposed to be at, like a Four Seasons or something like insanely luxe, but that's kind of what I was picturing. It's like, yep, that's Sicily for you. That's true. And I think Noto, one of the cities where they filmed, we were there because the lady that put together this trip for us. She was there with us and she mentioned that. So we got to see the beautiful city and cobblestone streets, small and winding little alleys with cafes. It's all there. It's all true. That's what you see. So go to Italy. <laughs> A little plug for Italy. Yes. Yeah. So we figured because by the time this is coming out, it'll be the week of Thanksgiving, which I'm personally already dreading. I'm just like, this time of the year is so depressing for me. I, I hate November. I hate December. I'm just like, let's get through this shit and get on to 2023. But I did think it would be interesting for us to talk about some movies that revolve around the holidays. Home for the holidays is Thanksgiving. Happiest season is Christmas. And both of them have queer elements, like Happiest Season is a queer love story, and then Home for the Holidays has a queer character who is arguably one of the more interesting characters in the film, I would say. I would say so. I actually really, I, and I just have to come out and say, I'm the complete opposite on the holidays. I'm like a holiday person. My husband is not. He hates the holidays. So we have 
coming to a, a 50-50 truce on <laughs> how we celebrate them, but I am, I'm not like jingle bells running around and all of that, but I do love the holidays for some reason and feel nostalgic, I guess, a lot of times at the holidays because I do have happy memories. So I'm kind of going into it with that perspective. But I loved, I wouldn't say I loved both of the films. There's one I prefer over the other one. We'll talk about that later. But I did enjoy watching both of these films, kind of comparing them. They're from two completely different time frames, from 1995, from 2020. So it was interesting to see the themes that overlapped, the the maybe the differences and how times have changed or have they really changed? So hopefully that'll come up in our discussion. And I thought that that was a very interesting perspective to see both of these movies from. Yeah. And I mean, I will say as somebody who does not like the holidays, I do like holiday movies. There are certain movies that I rewatch every single year. And for me, I think when I'm watching a holiday movie, I'm looking for true escapism. I want to see a family that is maybe a little dysfunctional, but ultimately they love each other and want the best for each other. I want to see what my family is not so that I can slip into that fantasy. So I think that's kind of a little bit more of what I'm looking for from a holiday movie. Some of the movies that I really like but would not rewatch as like nostalgic holiday movies are like Krisha, which is a brutal holiday movie. Oh, what else are some of the holiday movies, but that are a little bit more hard to take and honest? Well, I can tell you one that I just watched that I would like to see again, but it is definitely a hard watch is The Ice Storm. It has Sigourney Weaver, Kevin Klein in it, Joan Allen, a very young Katie Holmes, Toby Maguire, Elijah Wood. It's got one of those all-star cast, and it is a little bit disturbing. And... And one that does not end happily, I would say. And that's one that somebody recommended to me on Instagram, but yes. I have not watched it yet. It is definitely a movie that I think everyone should see, just like Krisha. But if you need a feel-good movie for the holidays, that would not be it. If you need a feel-good movie, I mean, I personally would watch The Family Stone, which is yes. also not su- – I mean, it is schlocky but it at least ends on a little bit of a more morose note. So I think it prevents it from getting like too saccharine, but it has a lot of the elements that I would want. Yes. Or like Home Alone 1 or 2. To me, those are classic, like the Grinch cartoon. I love all of those movies. Right. Oh, my God. What's the one? Christmas Story. That's another one for me with the BB gun. I love that movie. It's an older movie. Just funny. Also, I mean, I am a, a Will Ferrell fan, so a lot of people can't take him, but I like Elf, you know, just something just stupid and silly and his stupid humor that just appeals to me. So yeah, that's another one I like. And some of the classics or better ones that I watch every year, I, I always watch The Shop Around the Corner. I will watch Little Women sometimes. Carol, which is awesome. It's a Wonderful Life. The Apartment, that's kind of a Christmas movie, kind of a New Year's movie. Right. Uh, what else? I love White Christmas. I have to see oh, that yeah. one. 
And I hope this year, I know a couple of years ago, and maybe you did it last year, Lindsay does a wonderful holiday movie recommendation on Woman in Revolt. And I hope you post that again this year because that is where I have discovered some wonderful holiday movies to watch. Yeah, I think I will do it again. I can't do it every year because there just aren't that many new-to-me movies that I feel compelled to put on the list. But I think I've seen enough new stuff that it could use an update. Yes. Fanny and Alexander, I discovered that one from you. What was the other one? Bill... Bell, Witch, Candle, whatever that oh, movie Oh, Bell, Book, and Candle. Yeah. Bell, Book, and Candle. I love that one as a holiday recommendation, just a classic. So, yes. Yeah. I would love for you to put that out again. I'll link, I'll link the old one in our show notes, and then when the new one is available, I'm sure I will post about it on Instagram or something. Perfect. I think we probably should just get into the synopses of each movie. Let's just do it. So Home for the Holidays is a 1995 film written by W.D. Richter based on a story by Chris Radent and directed by Jodie Foster. It's her second movie that she's directed. The first one was Little Man Tate, and I believe that was in like 91, early in the 90s. So in this movie, it's about a woman named Claudia, played by Holly Hunter, who loses her job at a museum before going from Chicago, where she lives, to Baltimore, where she's from, to spend Thanksgiving with her family. Her parents, played by Anne Bancroft, who, to me, kind of stole the show, and Charles Durning, are well-meaning but kind of suffocating and not super attuned to what's going on with their children, which the dynamic between all of them to me felt very familiar, let's just say. Oh, yes. And her brother, who she is close with, named Tommy, played by Robert Downey Jr., is gay and seems to use immature, annoying humor as a coping mechanism when he's with his family. So I found his character very annoying, but you do understand that it's like him creating some kind of shield for himself when he has to be around these people who, it's not that they vilify him, but you can tell that there is some tension based on who he is as a person and who his parents and siblings are as people. So when he comes home for the holidays, he is not with his longtime boyfriend, and Claudia assumes that this means they've broken up. Because in place of his boyfriend, some guy that he works with named Leo Fish, played by Dylan McDermott, is there. And Claudia assumes that he's a new boyfriend and she's sort of cold and like skeptical of Leo. And Claudia and Tommy also have a sister named Joanne, played by Cynthia Stevenson, who is a super judgmental homophobe, who is clearly one of those people that's just unhappy with her life and treats everyone else like garbage because of her own insecurities. So it's a movie just all about family tensions and everything collides at Thanksgiving dinner. But of course, there's a happy ending where maybe Leo Fish and Claudia end up together. At the final scene of the movie, you see Claudia board the plane to go back to Chicago and Leo gets on and wants them to spend more time together. 
toward the end of the film, we also find out that Tommy is actually married to his longtime boyfriend, that they are still together. And he just, I guess, didn't want to subject that boyfriend, now husband, to the madness of his family at Thanksgiving. I don't know, Joe, what would you say your general impression of this movie is? What did you like about it? Well, this is the movie that I really liked a lot. I have seen this movie before. I'm almost positive I did not see it when it came out. I don't remember the first time I saw it, if it was just on cable or when, but I was familiar with it. I love Holly Hunter. She's one of my favorite actors. And I would say I would give this movie an overall A. I thought that it it tipped on a lot of family issues that I could identify with. The daughter coming home, Anne Bancroft, I agree. She was wonderful in this film. Like the over, kind of overbearing, but the mother that she's also hilarious and she just kind of goes with the flow. I love that her and her husband have such a good marriage with each other. Like they still genuinely enjoy being around each other. I found that refreshing that they seem to be a team. They enjoy dancing together, even though he seems kind of checked out a lot of times. Like he just tries to (laughs) stay out of the fray, I think, a little bit. I love the relationship between the mother and, and Holly Hunter. How when Holly Hunter is in the car and just gotten there and Anne Bangroff leans over and says, I can see your roots, Claudia. And that to me, that just reminded me something of what my mom would say. Like my mom loved me and she would be the most thing, but she would be like, oh, you know, you're wow, you know, your hair's getting really long. I didn't know women of your age still wore their hair like that. You know, she would just make some compliment, but it would turn around not being one. So I could really identify with that. And I I just love the dynamic between each of the characters. I loved how as the movie went along, you slowly were revealed into a person's inner workings a little bit more as you went through conversations. And it also showed a lot of different dynamic between the different characters, between Claudia and her dad, Claudia and her mom, Claudia and her brother, Claudia and her sister, between the crappy sister and the gay brother, between the husband and wife, between Leo, who showed up, and Claudia. So I felt like that it didn't skew to just one to two main people or three main people, I felt like it gave everyone a fair shake at revealing who they were. And then it brought it together, I thought, very nicely at the end of the film. I mean, what do you think? For me, it's not one of my favorites. I think, like, I love Holly Hunter, but I just don't think Claudia is that compelling of a character. I really wish that we got more to hang our hat on with her. Like, to me, she just didn't feel that developed or complex, whereas I felt some of the auxiliary characters, even though you didn't spend as much time with them, I feel like I had a better sense of who they were as people, and she remained a little bit nebulous to me. I also kind of wish that things maybe with her, I think I think the scenes with her daughter, Kit, played by a young Claire Danes, I thought those scenes were nice. I almost maybe wish there were 
a little bit more of them. I didn't like the whole thing with Kit losing her virginity and it being this thing hanging over Claudia's head when she goes home. Like, I think there's some outdated stuff like that. But yeah, I just kind of wish I knew a little bit more about Claudia. And I think for me, the thing about the thing that stands out to this movie, it's less like the movie as a whole and more specific scenes that I think are really well orchestrated and either really a standout from a directing perspective or for performances. But I think as a whole, for me, it's just I feel kind of like, eh, like I think if I were if I were rating it out of 10, I would give it a six and a half. Like I didn't Mm. enjoy I enjoyed watching it, but I, I don't think it's one I will revisit again and again gotcha it could be and it could also just be the time frame and there was just some personal elements i think for me that i could identify with that may have made it a little more i don't know one that i i liked a little bit more i mean just for an example claudia seemed to have kind of a special little relationship with her father like they kind of had an unspoken bond with each other, could talk to each other, enjoy being in each other's presence. And I that was a personal experience of mine. He was a mechanic at the airport. My dad was an electrician at an airport. So the last scene of them watching the planes fly over, I had actually done that with my dad before. So I think that maybe there was just some personal elements that brought it home a little bit more to me. And just maybe of the generation that I am, but I can definitely see what you're saying, that it would it would be nice to know a little bit more about Claudia, what made her tick, kind of where she was in her life before she came home. Yeah, I would say to me where it's the weakest is the writing. I think the acting is great. I think the direction is generally pretty good. I just think the writing could have been better. And I feel that way, to be fair, I feel that way about Family Stone, too, which, as I've said, I, I rewatch that one every year. And it's just like it's I can tell that it's lacking in a lot of areas, but there's just something about it to me that compels me. And I think it's it's kind of superficial stuff like the house. I think the house in that movie is so beautiful. And I just like watching scenes in it. I just like the experience right. of being in it. And Rachel McAdams, I think she's just so cool and attractive in that movie so it's really not like oh it's such a better movie it's like all it takes is a few elements for me to really like it and want to rewatch it so I get what you're saying it's just either either you find those little things and it becomes worth it for you or it doesn't well we know that watching films is such a personal experience anyway because we're seeing it from the lens of our own perspective so It really, and especially I think the holidays are so emotionally charged to begin with anyway. So I think that maybe even for me, holiday films have to hit certain things for me to really feel them. So I'm sure that's probably part of it as well. I think it's one that I would watch over and over. I mean, it may not be one like I like White Christmas. I always make uh, an an effort to watch that. I don't know that it would be like that, but if it popped up on a streaming service, I would definitely say, "Oh yeah, I found this to be entertaining. There's some funny moments. I think I'm going to watch this. I think I definitely would watch it again." <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I will watch it again in the future. I think it just won't become an annual rewatch for me. But like I said, it's just kind of what are you looking for in a holiday movie? Because as you mentioned, it is such a weird emotionally charged time. And I think some people are looking for those movies that are about fucked up families and how they deal with each other and maybe more serious themes. And then I think there are the people who are just looking for escapism or total romantic comedy vibes. So I think that of as a genre, if we're thinking of holiday movies as a genre, there aren't that many that I feel like, oh, that's an objectively good movie. I feel like a lot of them are lacking in certain areas, but it really doesn't matter because it's such a personal thing of what is going to resonate with you and what kind of thing right. you actually want to see at the holidays. Well, I think we could get into Happiest Season and then we can talk about the movies as they compare to each other and try to use them to illuminate some of the themes from each. So just to give you the quick synopsis of Happiest Season, this one is a newer movie. I assume more people have seen it, uh, but it's from 2020. It's written by Mary Holland, who also plays Jane in the movie. And it's based on a story by Clea Duvall, who also directed. It's about this Pittsburgh lesbian couple named Abby, played by Kristen Stewart, and Harper, played by Mackenzie Davis, who have been dating for a while and decide to spend Christmas together for the first time. So Harper invites Abby, whose parents are both dead, to her family's house, but neglects to mention that they don't know she's gay until they are already en route. Whoops! Yeah. <laughs> Pretty fucked up thing to just drop on someone. Oh my god. Yeah. So not only does she ask Abby to pretend that they're just roommates, roommates, she also requests that she pretend to be straight herself. So not only has she asked Abby to lie for her, but she's also asked her to go back into the closet and pretend to be straight while at her family home. So as you can imagine, this creates many toxic and uncomfortable scenarios for Abby, who spends most of the movie floundering around neglected, while Harper panders to her pretentious narcissistic parents, who are played by Mary Steenbergen and Victor Garber. She fights with her competitive sister, played by Alison Brie, and flirts with her ex-boyfriend, played by Jake McDorman, who shows up everywhere because clearly her parents think she's straight and they want to set her up with this white, generic man. <laughs> In the movie, Abby's only allies are her hilarious friend, John, played by Dan Levy, who honestly is the massive highlight of this movie, and Riley, played by Aubrey Plaza, another big highlight, who was actually one of Harper's high school ex-girlfriends who was damaged by her dishonesty in the same ways that Abby is now experiencing. So despite this whole shit show that Abby is forced into, Harper does eventually come out to her parents, and the film ends with everyone magically happy and smiling one year later. Harper and Abby are engaged, and the whole blended family, including John, is at the movies together as some stupid, cheesy song plays. Ah, oh, God bless us, everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what did you think of this movie? Okay, now, I liked this movie, 
But I found that so many times I was just infuriated by the whole entire situation of Abby being a fucking doormat. I'm like, girl, come on. This is crazy. Don't. And whatever Harper did to her, she just went along with it. She seemed so indecisive. And I just found myself irritated so many times of just how much are you going to put up with? Yeah. Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So I found that these characters irritated me so much more so that finally at the end when Abby was like, I've had enough, which, I mean, it was ridiculous. Like, I was about to just jump in the movie and jerk her out the door and say, get the fuck out of there. I just felt like this movie could have been so much more... And it wasn't. I can't exactly put my finger on where it missed it for me, but I feel like it ended up being a little bit too irritating. I felt like maybe there was just some cliches that just kept popping up over and over that the the characters weren't explored the way I wanted them to be explored. I mean, it did end on kind of a cheesy note, which... For a holiday film, I like that. I wish there had just been a little bit more maybe left undone that we would have to worry about. And I have to say I agree with you that uh, Dan Levy, to me, was the highlight. His character was hilarious, the best one-liners. He had the best advice, get out of there, what are you doing, you know, stand up for yourself. So I felt like he kind of stepped in and saved the film for me a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, I loved when he and Abby were on the phone together and he was like, I'm not shaming you. I just think the choice you made is dumb and you should feel bad about it and yourself. (laughs) Yeah, that was so funny. Just so brutally honest. Oh, that was so funny. Or when she said I was going to ask, Abby said I was going to ask her father's permission for her hand in marriage or something. And he's like, yay, way to go, patriarchy or (laughs) To fight the patriarchy or something like that. It was hilarious. And the whole fish thing of, you know, he killed their fish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just, he had so many good one-liners. And when he showed up, I was so glad. Like, I just felt like the movie lightened up. And I don't want to, like, totally shit on this movie because it did have some funny scenes in it. And it did have some interesting characters talking to each other and all of this but yeah it just felt like for 2020 I don't know I just wanted something a little bit more from it so did I and I think I do understand that okay how many lesbian holiday movies are there or were there before this one came out like none so I understand that there's a lot of pressure on this movie to be a lot of things for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. I think Cleo Duvall just wanted it to be maybe sort of representative of her own experiences that she's had throughout her life. And I get the desire to have this coming out holiday movie, but I just think that it's hard to really like it because it is not fun escapism. I would not call this fun escapism. Someone on Reddit actually referred to this movie as Get Out 2 Lesbian Holiday Edition, which I thought was hilarious because it is. 
I found it so stressful to watch yeah. that I couldn't I couldn't escape into it, but I found it a little too cheesy to be like a holiday movie like Krisha that is really saying serious things and right. really going into mental health right. issues and and serious themes. Like this movie isn't really doing that. It's like it, it's like walking the weird line between it wants to be about something serious, but it also wants to be a comedy. I just feel like it's kind of pandering to too many different areas. And as a result, it's letting everyone down a little bit because it's just trying to do too much. And for me, it's just it makes right. it feel watered down. And as you say, I just find I find the Harper character so fucking unlikable. I have some empathy for her because I understand what it is like to be in a situation where you feel like you can't be your authentic self around your parents. And I totally empathize with all of that, but I don't condone and I, I can't wrap my mind around somebody who's like almost 30 years old acting so immaturely to their friends and to their loved ones. Like, that's where I lose any empathy for her because it's like, okay, I get it. You're dealing with this horrible situation with your family and it's tough and it's stressful, but it doesn't give you carte blanche to treat all the people around you like shit. Like, you owe it to yourself to put in some work and to get to a place where you're able to deal with this and you're able to prevent it from seeping into other facets of your life. And because she didn't do that, I just found her to be such a frustrating character. Like, you just want to shake her. I agree with that. First of all, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's trying to be too many things, maybe, to two. It just goes off in too many different directions. Harper, I could have bought the character more if she had been, like, 18, I don't know, or 19, like someone trying yeah. to still find her identity. But to have been in, to have been away from home, to be in her 30s, to have been in a in a committed relationship with someone... I just, I can't imagine taking my partner home to meet my parents and stopping on the way there and telling this person, oh, I haven't told them the truth that we're together. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I would be stressing so bad. I would have never gotten in the car. Like, no, no way. I would have had 10 panic attacks before that even transpired. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Goodness. And I'm not saying that I'm the perfect person and I've handled all my relationships in my life perfectly, but that was just, that was just almost ridiculous. Yeah. And I think it's almost just like, okay, you are almost 30. I think they're supposed to be 29 in the film. It's like either you are at the point where you are able to see your family realistically for who they are and to know they are fucked up. And to have preventative measures in place to protect yourself. Like the fact that she's going back and she's still so desperate mm -hmm. for their approval and still just wanting her to be this thing. It's like, girl, you need therapy. You need to get over this. You're too old to still think that this is an okay dynamic. Yeah. So it was that. And then I can't, I'm like losing my train of thought because my cat is like flipping the fuck out trying to get into this room. Her entire <laughs> paws under the door. But yeah, I think that. That aspect of the family dynamic really bothered me. The fact that she was still so desperate for their approval, I felt like if somebody was at that place in their life, they would either have set strict boundaries with those people and started working on 
whatever healthy relationship they could form to their benefit, or they would have cut those people out and they wouldn't have any desire to spend the holidays with them. And they would spend the holidays with their girlfriend and not even like the parents would be a non-entity to the dynamic. Right. I mean, I moved away from home and out of the state when I was 27. I would say even before I moved, my parents had had become, I mean, I loved my parents, but they did not influence the way that I lived my life. And especially after moving away, I can't imagine the parents having that much influence. That did seem so strange to me. I know it happens. I know it just depends on the person and and maybe their relationship with their parents and God knows what else it depends on. But that that did seem very, very strange to me that she was so dependent on them. That was definitely a factor and one reason I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact of Abby being so passive. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted her to come to her senses a little bit quicker. If it had been me and we were in the car, that car would have been turned around or I would have been out of the car uh, one way or the other. That's the way I feel. But then I also thought about this and I thought, you know what? Once again, my 18-year-old self or 19-year-old self, maybe I would have been a little more because I was kind of in in my younger years, I would take a lot of shit from people and I took a lot of shit in relationships, so, but 30, I would have never taken that. 29, I would have never taken that. So, it just seemed like we needed this to be restructured more realistically (laughs) for me to accept what was going on in the film. And, I don't know, I just believe that some of the relationships fell a little flat for me. I don't even know why some of the spouses were included. I mean, they just were kind of a blip on the screen or whatever and just barely mentioned. It just seemed like maybe trying to, like you said, but maybe just trying to cram a little too many characters in at one point. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, you could tell, again, like they were just pandering to too many people and trying to include too many tropes and trying to tick. It almost felt like they were trying to tick boxes which we've talked about how much we hate most of those Netflix movies where it's like you can tell they have a checklist of like, okay, is there a black person? Is there a lesbian or a queer person? Is there this? Is there that? And you feel like they're just trying to shove all that shit into one movie. I felt a little bit like that with this. Right. Like there were some black characters. There was Burl Mosley who plays... Sloan, Allison Bree's character's husband, but he barely gets anything to do. It's like he's just there so that they can have interracial children and they can like, you know, tick that off their list of things they want to include. And I think like Harper has a black friend from college or high school or something. But again, maybe does she get like a speaking line? Maybe she gets one line in the movie. So there were just a lot of things like that where it's like, oh, it's cute that you have these characters, but they don't really have anything to do. There were some of them that I thought added to the movie. Like I liked seeing Michelle Buteau as the tour guide in the opening yeah. scene of the, when they're at the Candy Cane Lane. And I like seeing 
Lauren Lopkus and Timothy Simons as the bumbling security guards in the mall. But oh, that was funny. That was funny. But a lot of the other stuff is just like, hmm, like this could have been cut from the movie and we could have had maybe a little more time developing maybe Abby and Harper's backstory as a couple. Like, I felt like they needed to give us something if they wanted us to be invested in that relationship, considering how toxic and boundaryless those characters were. I feel like if maybe if we had seen a little bit more of their life together without outside influence and had seen a little bit more of their couple dynamic when they're not performing for other people, maybe that could have been helpful in helping the viewer understand why we should be invested in these people, even though clearly neither one of them is fit to be in a healthy relationship. (laughs) Like they both need to like work on themselves way more before they're equipped to be together because I don't know how you are in a successful relationship when you're not able to set clear boundaries for yourselves. Exactly. Well, what do you think? I mean, if you could go in and rewrite rewrite this where do you think the characters how would you rewrite either movie like what would be some things that you would change what would what do you think you could adjust to kind of make the movie a little bit better I don't know I think with home for the holidays I definitely would have liked to see deeper characterization of Claudia I feel like that would have been helpful because As you say, it is an ensemble cast, but Claudia is sort of our lens through which to see things. Like, we start the movie with her, we follow her the whole way through the movie, so she is our protagonist. And I just wish we had gotten to know a bit more about her, either her life independent of her family in Chicago, or maybe even who she was when she was still living with her parents in high school. And I also thought that Her relationship with Tommy, it's just like the movie kept telling us that they were close, but nothing that we saw really other than them having a good rapport with each other in person. I feel like there wasn't enough to really show us their closeness. And there was also the weirdness of Tommy not telling her that he got married and letting her think that Leo Fish is his new boyfriend. There was like a lot of unspoken stuff to that. And I'm not quite sure what the film was trying to say with it. So I think that could have been that could have been cleared up. And I also just don't really care about Claudia having some happy romantic ending. I did appreciate that the film kept it a little vague. Like it's not like they definitely end up together and are super happy. The film Makes you think that, okay, something could happen with these two. They're clearly invested in getting to know each other more, but it still ended with that whole montage of like family memories, like things that were spoken about within the film, but that you didn't get to see. So it did come a little bit around for me there, but I just still think that romance subplot with Leo Fish could have gone. I don't feel like that added very much for me. Oh, yeah. Leo just could have been out of the movie. I don't, uh, he didn't add that much for me. I just feel like I wanted Claudia, Holly Hunter's character, to deal with her own shit without having a man to help her through it. I don't like that trope of the only way to be happy is to find true romance. Yeah. So, yes, 
as cute as uh, he was, no, he could have been gone. I wouldn't have missed him at all. I guess I felt a little differently. I felt like maybe I did sense the closeness between Claudia and her brother from what I saw. I also, I know he was irritating, but I, and I know Robert Downey Jr. was having some some personal problems when he was doing that film and a lot of his stuff was like improvised, but yeah, some of the stuff that he did and said was hilarious. I loved it when she was walking on the street and her high school friend showed up out of nowhere and was critiquing her and the whole time Robert Downey Jr. was in his souped up charger or whatever he was in, just going up and down the street and squealing tires. I don't know why that just, I thought that was hilarious to me, even though I knew it was irritating as shit. I think I've always been one where if a character wasn't that well written, I'm a little bit more okay with it. I just kind of fill in the blanks with my own experiences. (laughs) I'd use my ego, I guess, to fill it in. So, but definitely I would have gotten rid of the Leo character. That is one thing I would have have done. And I have to say, I know the one sister was shitty. I know that she, you know, was very homophobic and was horrible, but I did feel sad for her in a way because I feel like her ability to think that she's the only one that can control things led her down a path of basically tying herself into her mom and dad's life where she didn't need to, and maybe even using that as an excuse for not having the life that now she realizes she could have had. She's tied into a marriage with two kids. I don't know that it's all that happy. And she's always talking about to her sister, oh, your glamorous life, and you just run off and left. Like she's blaming them for her poor choices. And I know people like that. There were so many characters I could identify with that I have known people in real life like these characters. So I felt like I didn't dismiss her as just totally a horrible person. She is horrible, but I think there was a a big sense of sadness that I felt for her there as well, that she had just fucked up her own life and could not see it. Along with Tommy, she was one of the more interesting characters. Because you can tell that she dug herself into a hole and that she's actually pretty jealous of Tommy and of Claudia because they got out and they now have lives that, while they aren't perfect, they can be themselves in those lives and they are not just orchestrating their every move around their parents. And so, yeah, I think she feels a lot of resentment toward them. And even though we don't get her in that many scenes... The scenes that she is in, I feel like you can tell exactly what her dynamic is and where she's coming from and how she feels about the family and about her siblings. So to me, that is a really good performance by Cynthia Stevenson and I think also good direction by Jodie Foster because a lot of those elements really come out, I think, in the way like the Thanksgiving dinner scene is shot. I really like the element of the dad who is recording everything. There are all these scenes where he's either recording with a video camera or uh, taking photos and constantly creating these memories of these situations that you know are totally different when they're happening versus how they look on film or in, in pictures. 
So yeah, I thought there were some very interesting elements. And I know we talked offline about the scene where Joanne is in her basement using the Stairmaster. And this is after Thanksgiving dinner and she's gotten the turkey fallen onto her and like all this shit dumped all over her clothes. And she and her family have left in a huff. And Claudia is showing up to give her some leftovers. And they have this conversation while she's working out in her unfinished basement on the Stairmaster. And again, it's not a really long scene, but it's a scene that is full of so much tension and unspoken feelings and resentment and projection. It's just a scene that does a lot, even though on paper it would look like just a blip. Right. That was a powerful scene. Boy, could I identify with that, where when her sister said to Claudia, if I met you out and you gave me your phone number, I would just throw it away because I feel that way about so much of my family. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. Like, sometimes I feel like I was just dropped into a turnip patch and my family rescued me. Like, it's ridiculous how that hit home with me. And I, f- I feel like that, that that was a huge insight because just because you share blood and DNA with somebody <laughs> does not mean you're going to like them or you want to be around them. That's for sure. And that scene definitely laid that out. Yeah, it really did. I mean, I feel like I have more. And I actually, let me see if I can find this because there was an interesting thing that Jodie Foster said in an interview. Yeah, so she was talking about how having to go home to a family when you already have a family, how that was like one theme mm-hmm. of the movie. And then she was talking about another theme was how your friends are your family. And she was saying, that's very true of my generation. Our family was more the people that we got stuck in the elevator with that we didn't choose. Right. And I like that as a premise for a movie. And I mean, I also feel that way about my family. But I think it is a relatively different way to think about your family. Like, I think my parents' generation, they just felt so indebted to their parents and so, like, they didn't even ever consider the relationship. I don't think they thought deeply about the relationship whatsoever. Like, if it was fulfilling, if they got what they needed, I just think that was, like, totally not even a consideration. And then maybe it started with, like, I don't know, Gen X or I feel like it was more more um, widely acceptable that you would potentially look at your family and say, like, who the fuck are these people? I don't have anything in common with them. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm in the boomer. I was born in 63, but Gen X started in 65. So I'm like right on the cusp of that. A lot of times I can identify more with that generation, definitely than the boomer generation. But that is a good point. Because I do believe even in the boomer generation, which would be your family in which I am technically a part of, you know, we were taught that's what you do. You do, It's just a duty. You do it. You don't think too much about it. But at the same time, I can remember, especially once I moved away, I think it gives you some clarity to look back and just see. And to not feel guilty that if these people are not people, you can be related to someone and not like them. And you don't have to waste your life 
of being around these people. But I feel like in all of these films, there was so much of this dysfunction going on, but yet people, even the new film, felt compelled that they had to go home. Yeah. And do that. It's like a call. I don't know, something inside. So I understand where your friends or your family, definitely. I I believe that. And I think in the movie, there was a, a beautiful scene where Robert Downey Jr. calls his husband and all of their friends are over and everyone's having a wonderful time and everybody's so happy and you can just tell he wants to be there. That's his true soul family, I would say you could call it. But at the same time, I believe maybe we're still put under this pressure of you're being a bad person if you don't go around people you don't like because you have to be obligated to them. I I feel like that that is still a common theme that hasn't improved that much since 1995, in my opinion. No, I mean, I agree. I think my generation, millennials, are more realistic in the way that they think about relationships with their family. I'm just speaking right. like broadly here, but based right. on my friends and based on anecdotes, it does seem like, I mean, we're a generation who's more open-minded about therapy. So I think there are more people who are able to look critically at their relationships with their families and say, oh, that's what that was. This is how it impacted me. This is how I'm going to protect myself from that influence in my adult years. Right. So I think honestly maybe why these maybe why I have a tough time with these films is because partially I think because they're too they're a little too close to home. Like it is stressful having mm. to sort through those dynamics and I think that both of these characters have not really done I, when I say characters I mean Claudia and Harper. Mm-hmm. I think both of these characters have not done a great job of self-reflection, examination, setting boundaries, really trying to work on themselves and their relationships in in the way that I would like to see. Not because I feel like it's unrealistic for people to have not done that, but just because it makes it less stressful for me as a viewer if the character is in a little bit of a better place mentally, emotionally. It's it's almost like it's too it's just too painful to watch them both flounder and pander. And I think Claudia does that stuff less. Harper does that stuff throughout the entire movie, pretty much. Right. So I think it's just, it adds a difficult element to it. And uh, it's, I think, yeah, it's just too close to home to be comforting in any way or revelatory in any way. It's just like watching dysfunction play out to no satisfying end. Right. I can definitely see that. Well, In The Happiest Season, is there a scene that speaks to you like we talked about when Joanne and Claudia were talking in her basement while she was on the Stairmaster in Home for the Holidays, how that brought so much forward? Was there a scene in Happiest Season that really stuck with you, like this really got to some meat of what the problems are or got to the meat of the matter? I mean, I think the meatiest scene in Happiest Season is probably the one where things have really escalated for Abby at Harper's Families. And John, played by Dan Levy, comes to rescue her from this horrible holiday party they're having where all these tensions are running high and Harper is 
not being herself and is treating Abby even shittier than normal. So John shows up and he and Abby are outside and they're talking and he gives a speech about how, you know, Abby has to remember that not everybody has a nice coming out and not everybody has a supportive family. And some people are really going to struggle with that shit and it's going to take them a while to unravel. And it's a really good speech. It's a good speech and it's it's a good reminder of dynamics, but Uh it's also like the movie is not, it feels a little shoehorned in. Like, I don't feel like the movie was working to that point. I don't feel like that's a theme of the movie, but I think it is a memorable scene. Dan Levy's very good in it. I think the sentiment is apt, but I just think that, again, it's like a scene that is good, but does it go with the movie? Does it belong in this movie? Does it, does this movie deserve it? Uh, I, I, you know, and I think, um, I don't know, I just think that this movie could have been made better in, in so many ways. Like, I was trying to think, it would have been so much easier to wrap your head around some of this shit if Harper had just told Abby, I'm still not out to my parents and I'm really struggling with this and I don't know how to come out to them and I, I want to come out to them after the holidays and I want you to be there with me. If she had been upfront about some of the shit, I think we could have forgiven her for a lot more because it's like, okay, she's still working on some of her personal stuff. That's understandable, but she's not lying to the person that she's supposed to be in a relationship with. She's still respecting them. She's telling them where she's at. She's being honest. I think the fact that she lied and then dragged Abby into this whole dysfunctional shit show is unforgivable in many ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was just, while you were talking and, and saying that, I it made me reflect on what if we had just had just Harper, Abby, and John and just focused on those three and they had never even gone home. Like, <laughs> like you could have done a yeah. movie with, okay, I've got to go home. I mean, the whole movie could have been just done on the premise you just said, and I think involved these characters, maybe somehow got Riley in it because I liked her character so much. Me too. The shoehorned Riley in there is showing up on a business trip or something and somehow shoehorned her in. But I think that it, it could have even been a better movie if you just took out the other family dynamic. I mean, the other family could have just been left out of it and just focused on these three characters and really just deeply, richly discussed them and showed what their experiences were and more of what John's experiences were to come about of the true meaning of the film of trying to have a relationship and to balance that with family obligations and how to grow in your relationship, and on top of that being queer, how to come out to your family. I just feel like that it may have ended up even being a better movie if the rest of the family hadn't even shown up. Yeah, I mean, I think that another area where, okay, I think I'm going to be a little contradictory here, but I think the tough thing about Harper's family is they are so fucking horrible. They're so mean and they're so judgmental and they don't exhibit many good qualities throughout the entire film until you get to the big reveal where Harper does come out as queer 
And then they just, you know, a year later, they're all able to have this, oh, we're all happy together. And oh, it's like just so fantastical. And I know I've said that I like holiday movies where it's like you can slip into the fantasy, but I don't think you get to have the fantasy when the entire movie is like we said, like, get out to lesbian holiday edition. Like, you can't have this harrowing plot of coming out and being rejected and really serious shit that is weighty and that a lot of people can connect with. I think even people who are not queer, I think, can connect with it a little bit if they have if they have lives that are so radically different from their parents. So I think you don't get to do all of that stuff and have a bulk of the movie be really stressful and really actually pretty serious and really triggering for a lot of people. And then it's just, oh, it all magically comes together in the end. To me, that feels insulting. I either want the fantasy, like the holiday with Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet. I either want like the romantic stringless fantasy or I want it to be realistic. And I don't think that there's really a good way to make both of those things work in tandem. There you go. There you go. And I have to agree, her in the movie, the parents were horrible. It was all about the appearances. It was all about eating dinner at the country club. Ugh. Yeah. Which Kill me. just really grated on my nerves from past experiences. It was all about her dad running for office and didn't want to taint his reputation and he had sunk all their life savings into that i mean what the fuck if my husband had sunk all of our life savings into running for office i would be freaking out right now yeah i mean it just everyone seemed a little bit self-centered the mom wanting the perfect picture for the holidays and yeah then all of a sudden everybody just has a wake-up call and everything's blissful it did it was a little a little hard to take but yeah i mean I don't know. I just feel like if I if I had to sum this movie up or if I had to describe my feelings about it, I would just say like no person is hot enough to act this crazy and get away with it at 30. <laughs> right. Like just th- th- I can't fall into the fantasy when Harper is so fucked up, lies to everyone, her family is shitty, and then, oh, they end up together. And how do you feel good about that? I just don't think you can feel yeah. good about it. I do I do like yeah. the when Mary Steenberg and her character talks about taking a bunch of Ambien and buying a racehorse online. Yeah, that was funny. There are some little lines that I thought were really funny and broke some of the tension a little bit, but right. the movie as a whole, does it come together? Does it feel particularly funny or revelatory or what is it really saying? I I don't know. You know, nothing nothing that to me is very very important. It just happens to be a, a queer movie that got made, and this is kind of what we have for queer representation, although there are more movies that are coming out. And so, like we were saying before we started recording, if this movie kickstarts a bunch of other projects and there are more queer holiday movies, maybe it will be worth it just for that reason alone. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, there is a slew coming out. I looked at 2022, and all of a sudden... There's so much more being offered, and I think you made an interesting point to me that someone had mentioned to you that maybe the queer community needed shitty Christmas movies. You know, do they need that? Is that is that a byproduct of we've made it, 
So every movie doesn't have to be fantastic and represent how things really are. We can we can have a shitty movie just because they're making the movies. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think to some extent, yes. Like, I think that there are not enough queer movies that when there is a queer movie and it kind of sucks, it doesn't really hit hard. Like, I think this hits hard because it's just like, well, there aren't that many. And this one happens to, you know, kind of kind of suck. Uh, but I, I think the queer community deserves shitty Christmas movies, but like more like the equivalent to that terrible Lindsay Lohan movie that's out on Netflix, what falling for Christmas, which I did watch over the weekend with my mom, like the queer, I would have loved it if it was a queer movie about two lesbians involved in this convoluted Christmas plot or like, you know, lesbian Hallmark movies or like a, a movie about a lesbian couple who, like, I don't know, open a bakery together or something. Like, we need, like, wholesome representation, too, I think. And this just, this is, this is representation, but it's, uh, it's not, like, the kind of cozy Christmas movie that you watch over and over again that just happens to be kind of bad, but you have a nostalgia or a coziness for it. Like, that's kind of what I feel like the queer community needs, not this movie that just tries to do too many things and ends up failing on every level except for the Dan Levy level. Right, which, of course, we love him. Do you think that there needs to be more queer holiday movies, just the feel-good type? Is that what you're saying? Like, just don't even talk about that we have gay characters. Just have a gay character, and, and it's accepting, and, you know, they get into... Uh, Mr. So-and-so down the block wants to buy up their ranch and get rid of the the children's school that they run or something. You know what I'm talking about. But then somebody comes in and saves the day. Like, do we need just more movies just showing that this is normal? We don't have to make a queer statement every time of them trying to of trying to get acceptance. Should it be more of just like, yeah, we can have these madcap things in life and this is the way that it is. Where I think that movies have gone wrong in 2022 and especially movies that are like Netflix movies is it's like we feel that there has to be some grand statement that is being made. Like there has to be some thesis. And I just miss movies that were made in the 90s or even the 80s that were just kind of like a little batshit crazy, a little fun, just a thing you enjoyed watching and it wasn't saying anything revelatory. It was just an enjoyable way to spend 90 minutes. And personally, like that's what I'm looking for. I want more movies where it's just like right. I had fun watching that. It was a joy. Is it is it blowing my mind with the way that it delves into the hardships of coming out in 2022 as a 30-year-old to your conservative parents? Like, no, I don't really need that. And I'm not trying to say that you can't make movies about serious themes. I just think, I mean, there are some more movies that deal with serious themes. There aren't as many that are just like light and frothy and fun and a good way to spend your time and a movie that you like revisiting because it makes you feel good. Right. And I would be real curious, anyone that's listening to the podcast, what's your opinion on that? Where do you think the holiday queer movie genre should be headed in the future? I would love to hear, especially from our queer community, what do you think? We'd love to get your opinion on that. Yeah. And, you know, 
one other thing I wanted to bring up, which I thought was pretty interesting, is I do think that for 1995, the way that Home for the Holidays treated Tommy was a little progressive because Tommy wasn't closeted. He was out to his family. He clearly had set some boundaries with his family because he didn't tell them immediately about his marriage. He didn't bring his new husband home for the holidays. And he was clearly, I think, probably living a different life and being a different kind of person. Like, I don't think that his whole horrible joke, joking trickster act, I think that was an act for his family. I don't think that's how he is around his husband and his true family. So I think that Showing it like that felt pretty progressive to me in 95, and that's why juxtaposed with Happiest Season, where you have this closeted character with the conservative family and she's unable to come out to them, and that's the focal point of the film. I'm not saying that that's not a thing that happens and that that's not a worthwhile story. I'm just saying it's interesting that in 2022, that is the dynamic Whereas in 95, it's not that things were all amazing and great and everyone was super accepting, but you had this character who was at least working to build a life for himself that felt true and authentic. And he wasn't totally blocking his family from it, but he also wasn't letting them in completely. That to me felt, yeah, just like a more progressive dynamic for the 90s. I agree with that. I feel like Tommy had set some good boundaries for himself. I don't think he would have been there if it hadn't been for his sister calling him. Claudia calls up and does this incredible monologue on his answering machine about her entire fucking life falling apart and kind of begging him to be there. And he shows up. I think otherwise he, I think he had made some actually wise choices about where he wanted to be in his life. He didn't feel the pressure to invite any of them to the wedding. He didn't feel the pressure to even be home for the holidays. It was strictly, I think, out of a caring for his sister that he showed up. And I think you're right. I think he went on overdrive, like a a Robin Williams comedy bit, overdrive to just help shield himself and maybe even to try to help shield her a little bit to kind of just put up a smokescreen for both of them at that point. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you bring up something interesting because initially Tommy pretends that he has not gotten Claudia's message. So she thinks he's just there, but that he never got her message. And then he later admits, yeah, I got your message. So he definitely is there for her. And I think you're right that he's, because he acts as this unpredictable kind of just could explode or do anything at any moment, wild, loose cannon, he makes it so that there's less pressure on her to talk about her life and what's going on with her job and what's going on with her daughter. And I think that he takes up enough space in the room that she's able to pull back a little bit and not necessarily get into things she doesn't want to get into with her family. Right. And bringing Leo, I think in his mind, he's like, this will be another good distraction. Maybe she'll get laid, you know? (laughs) Yeah. With this cute guy. And, you know, I kind of like him. He's my business partner. He's cool. And uh, that's what she needs. She needs to get laid. So he brings in Leo. Yeah. 
which I can understand. But I mean, I think honestly, I think if somebody who is not Robert Downey Jr. had played that character, I would have a lot more fondness for him. I just find Robert Downey oh. Jr. so fucking annoying. And like, there's just something about him I do not like, especially in this role. I think somebody else yeah. would have done it better. Like, imagine, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who else would have, of like in the 90s, would have been good in it. I'm not really sure, but he's just to me a little, like, I can't imagine being around him in person and like I think I would find it just totally intolerable because his his coping mechanisms are so different than what mine are the characters and then Downey's performance is so over the top that it, it like elevates it again and makes it even that much more exhausting in some ways he is exhausting I mean I people like that draw me in like a moth like I just want to see what they're doing next and you almost want to be in there in their craziness, but then I tire out very quickly where I can't do it. <laughs> I just can't, I can't keep it up over and over and just enjoy it. But in another way, I'm drawn to it. Like, what's going to happen next? What is this crazy? And then there's some things he does, I think, are legitimately funny, but then there's some things I'm just like, oh my God, you know, this is really great on my nerves too. So, I've always liked Robert Downey Jr. I don't know. I don't have a problem with him. But a person that everybody loves that I don't necessarily like is Julia Roberts. I've never liked her, but a lot of people like her. I mean, I've seen a lot of her movies, and I know, I believe she's a good actor, but I've just never cared for her. <laughs> I don't know why. No, I mean, I kind of agree with you. She's never, she's she's not an actor that does very much for me. I would just say, I don't think there's a single Julia Roberts movie that I don't feel would be better with someone else in her role. Yeah, I just, I've never gotten that appeal. But that, once again, that's just me. Some people you don't really care for. Brad Pitt's another one. I've never been a huge Brad Pitt fan. He oh. never did it for me, so I don't See, know. See, he, he did for me, but I think because, like... Some of his 90s movies where he was, in my opinion, at his peak hotness, that that was like me coming of age. So yeah. I think that it just, you know, if the time hits right and you catch the right movies at the right age, right. somebody will like cement itself for you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I just have one other thing I want to ask you, and that is out of these two movies, even with all their problems... Is there a character that you could relate to more than the other characters? Honestly, in Home for the Holidays, I'm trying to think if there's a single character I felt I related to. No. <laughs> I don't think so in Home for the Holidays. I felt like I didn't really totally gel with anyone. None that, it's not to say like I, I disliked all the characters or anything. Just there was no one that I felt really closely aligned with. Right. In Happiest Season, I think I felt most closely aligned with Dan Levy, not because I'm like the hilarious comedic break, but just because he was the one person who was actually giving good advice and saying how he felt and not trying to step around some bullshit. Like he wasn't passive. He yeah. was actually offering something up that could be helpful. So I think without his character, I don't think I would have made it through that movie. Right. I could see you as John, definitely. What about you? Well, for me, 
Home for the Holidays, there's not one character that I identify with, but I can definitely see myself as a cross between, I would think, the Holly Hunter character and the Cynthia Stevenson character. And I know Cynthia Stevenson comes off as this horrible, horrible person, but I have some of that nobody can do it but me. I do have that in my DNA, especially when it came to my parents. Like, I think that there was things that I could, and in, in all my life, there are things that I may have been afraid to do, and I put my, I have to be here for this, or I have to do this, or I have to take this on. I feel like I did that a lot in my life and curtailed a lot of things that I could have done. So on that respect, I kind of identified with her of letting her own bad headspace and where she was get her locked into things that she didn't have to, where she felt like she's the only one that could take care of a situation. I I have had that in my life. And with Holly Hunter, the complete opposite of trying to get away, because I did move away from home eventually trying to get out of there. So it's almost like a time morph of maybe when when I was younger, I was more like Cynthia Stevenson. But then as I got into my 30s, I was more like Holly Hunter and getting away and trying to put it behind me, but couldn't. And then in Happiest Season, I think once again, I have to say that it would be a, a mix of two characters. I could see myself as Abby when I was 18 but I could definitely see myself as John at the age I am now saying, get the fuck out of there. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Don't let somebody run over you or being older. I think I progressed to it, but is there just one character that I can totally identify with? No. Yeah, I think, I think the only thing I feel like we have to talk about because it's such a thing on the internet uh-huh. is a lot of people wanted Abby to end up with Riley. Right. And there's actually quite a bit of fan fiction out there (laughs) basically rewriting the movie so that those two end up together. So what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Would you have liked it or thought it worked within the movie if those two had ended up together somehow? I felt like they had more chemistry. For sure. I really did. Like I felt something between them that I did not feel between Abby and Harper. There's a part of me that says, yes, I I wish it could have ended up because in Family Stone, everybody switched and was with different people. So why not? Why not switch up and and just have Harper learning her hard lesson and having Abby go off with Riley and just turning the whole thing on its ear? Another level, I just, I wouldn't have minded if Abby had just gone off on her own. And said, you know what? I'm not going to take this. This is just not going to work out. And I'm going to go find my own peace. And I'm going to find my own happiness. Yeah. <laughs> and just left on her own and didn't have to just keep accepting Harper's apology. So I guess I'm just kind of on the fence. But I would say either Abby by herself or Abby with Riley. I'm all for that. Yeah, I mean, I would say Riley even seems like she is too healthy for Abby Mm -hmm. because 
it's like when you're a fucked up person. Okay, so Harper is obviously kind of fucked up. Like she's not able to admit things to herself. She's not able to admit things to her parents. Like no judgment, but she's got some things she needs to work through. Abby has her own things to work through. I don't think you end up with a person who's closeted to their whole family and you sit through this whole holiday with them unless you also have some issues. And for me, it's like Abby has issues clearly with boundaries. She has issues with like how to set them for herself, how to set them within a relationship. And I think Riley, of all the characters we see, and we only see a little bit of her, but she seems like the healthiest. Like she's out to her family. She's living her life, doing her own thing. She's able to like intuit what is happening with Abby and Harper. And she's able to step in and just be there for her as a friend, not as a person who has, you know, romantic interest in her, but just as, hey, I've been through what you're through and let me try to lend support. So I think it would have ruined it for me had those two ended up together because it's not, it's, it just is like the, people don't always have to end up together. You can just be helpful to another person because you want to help them and not because you like necessarily want to get with them. Right. So, I mean, I understand where people are coming from because Aubrey Plaza is so charismatic and so beautiful and we all just want her to be happy, but I don't think it would have been right. I don't think they would have been a good match. I think she's... She's doing a residency at Johns Hopkins. She's It seems like she's in a good place, and I don't really think she needs to be putting up with Abby's bullshit either. Right. We don't want Abby clinging onto her to try to find her self-worth in someone else because apparently Abby does have some heavy emotional issues that she clearly needs to be in therapy for, her and Harper both. And I do agree. I think that Riley is the most developed character. I mean, Harper did a horrible thing to her in high school, basically outed her to protect her own self when they were truly in a relationship together, and she was bullied and scorned by the whole school. And Riley doesn't even seem to have any anger or resentment. She just seems to feel sorry for Harper. Like, she's evolved so much. She's put all that stupid-ass shit behind her, and she's like, you're fucked up. You know, Harper is fucked up. But and she did, she's not vindictive. She's not going to Abby saying, well, let me tell you what she did to me. And you need to leave that bitch. And let me come over here with me. You know, she's not doing any of that. So I agree. You know, maybe just do a movie about Riley. Yeah. Let's just, where did Riley go in her life? Let's just get Riley on the horn and find out what happened to her and do a movie on it. Yeah, I would like a sequel that is just Riley and she's just having fun. She's dating around. Yes. Uh, maybe she just has like a whole bunch of sex and then that's the movie. You know, like yeah. I don't I don't need yeah. anything deep. I just want to like kind of watch that character live her life and just exist in beautiful places. And yeah, just bring, bring it on. Let's see what happened to her. You know, let's see some well-adjusted holiday lesbian fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, nothing, we don't want, we don't want, like, stressful shit. I mean, no. or if or if it's going to be stressful, you know, as I said, just make it that type of movie. Don't try to infuse it with comedy. Don't try to, like, market to uh, d different audiences and different genres. Just, we want to know what we're getting into. Like, I would have wanted to know I was going to be watching this ultra-stressful shit show with 
just total anxiety. Like, I, I didn't feel like I relaxed once during this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Around every turn, there was a plot where something was going to be revealed and there was going to be uncomfortable situations and people were going to be heard. And it was like, uh, 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 just cringy all the way through it. But yeah. Yeah, I say from here on out, you know what, everyone, just watch the movies that you love, kick back. I always overindulge in the holiday movies, and then usually around December 15th, I have to watch The Exorcist to cleanse my palate before I can finish it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's always my, my reset movie around December, because it's just not a Christmas movie. It's the furthest thing from it, so... Just do do what you have to do. And hopefully if you have not seen these movies and you have listened to this podcast, I still hope that you check both of these out because I think they are definitely worthy of watching and you should see them. Yeah, I agree. You should still see them. Check them out. Let us know what you think. And we would be curious to hear. Maybe you really like Happiest Season. Maybe you think it's a good movie. Maybe it didn't stress you out. Or maybe it stressed you out, but you thought that was worthwhile. So let us know. And any holiday movies that you really love, we would like to know as well, because tis, tis the season for just getting lost in someone else's lives on the screen to avoid dealing with your own reality. <laughs> for me, at least, <laughs> that is that yes. is going to be the next month and a half. Absolutely. Especially when you're getting over COVID and you have a terrible head cold. You don't need too much unfortunate drama to hit you. You just can't, especially in all of my over-the-counter drug-induced haze, I had to go <laughs> lightweight <laughs> this year. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely, I think, going to probably watch like the old Black Christmas and then the remake. And I'm probably going to do some horror sprinkled in throughout. Not, I don't do an, I don't do a December Exorcist rewatch, but I will put some <laughs> horror in there just for the balance of all the the schlock and the Christmassy bullshit. Yes, absolutely. And I am definitely going to head over to Criterion because they normally have some really good holiday movies as well that takes you down a different path. I like discovering movies there. And definitely check out Woman in Revolt. Check out Lindsay's website because she has said she's going to update her holiday list. And let me tell you, you will find so many wonderful gems there that will keep you going right until Christmas Day. Yes. So lots there to check out. And I think I also wrote a review at some point of the holiday that I remember being funny. So maybe I'll link that one as well. Because as I said, sometimes you just need a movie that you know is kind of bad, but it does something for you. And that's that's definitely that type of movie for me. And same with You've Got Mail. That's another one of my faves. So yeah, yeah, we'll include some recommendations in our show notes and over on my website, check them out. But for now, we just, we hope that if you're listening, you have a Thanksgiving that is that is not stressful for you. We hope you have a nice, relaxing Thanksgiving or that there's at least something that you yeah. have to look forward to. Absolutely. Everybody self-care as much as you can. Find your true family. Just do the best that you can do. You know, that's all that we can do. And know that you're not in the same boat. We, we've all got the same type of family dynamics and problems going on. So 
just know that you are surrounded here by two people that understand you. <laughs> yes. And we will be back here after Thanksgiving. We'll do another movie as usual. We don't know what it is, but yes. Happy holidays, everyone. We will we will see you after Thanksgiving and we will be thinking of those of you who are potentially going to have stressful times. We'll keep you in our thoughts. Absolutely. Happy holidays, everyone. Bye, everyone. Catch you on the next one.